Welcome to Tigers in 20, a Go Tigers 247 audio podcast. Your one-stop shop for all things University of Memphis Tigers athletics. Here are your hosts, founder of Go Tigers 247, Brooks Hansen, and lead writer for Go Tigers 247, Christian Fowler. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to this week's episode. I am your host, Christian Fowler, and joining me, as always, is Go Tigers 247 founder, Brooks Hansen. Brooks, we took half of the week off this week, recording on Friday instead of on Monday. Uh, excited to be back, and Brooks, with that extra time, we have a lot more to talk about this week, so what are we getting into first? Well, we're going to talk football. Obviously, this week with, with Navy on Thursday night, Memphis coming away with their fourth win on the season. Lots to talk about with football. Kind of felt like a controversial night, even though Memphis won. Um, Talk about what's on the horizon next for Memphis football. Talk a little bit of basketball recruiting and Memphis's open first practice of the season for the 2019-2020 basketball season. So lots to get into. Uh, May even do some questions at the end if we've got enough time. So Christian, let's start off. Memphis absolutely made a turnaround at halftime last night. Um, let's talk about that first half first. It was it was a little rough uh, on both sides of the ball. What really stood out in that first half to you? The first half, like you said, it was it was so weird because Navy goes right down the field, which that that's not unexpected because they're going to come out with a bunch of different looks. Obviously, they're trying to confuse the defense. Uh, they know that Memphis's defense has been watching film all week and preparing for certain things. So when they start off the game with a misdirection jet sweep for 41 yards, they know they have Memphis's number. Um, and from that point on, it was kind of like, okay, Navy's going to have their way on this drive, and then Memphis will be able to clean it up. Uh, I think that was kind of the the thought uh, within you know within the press box and within the stadium. It, it looked like that first drive would would be the one drive that Navy got Memphis, and then they continued to have success throughout the first half uh, using misdirection. I don't think Memphis was ready for the jet sweeps. Uh, obviously, they they played the triple option decently uh, throughout the first half, but the pitches, the jet sweeps, the motion was really confusing them, and Navy was able to get outside. Uh, the defense actually defended the dives very well, which is obviously a big part of the triple option, but anything outside was getting chunk yardage every time. And then on the offense, it was just completely stagnant. You had the first play of the game where Kenny Gainwell rips off a 75-yard run. By the way, Kenny Gainwell is a very special football player. He is a lot of fun to watch, and I think Memphis fans are going to love having him for the next few years because he – is a playmaker. Uh, it was perfectly blocked by the offensive line, and, and Kenny kind of did the rest and had a very athletic play to lunge in the end zone from three yards out. So they have that play, and it looks like, okay, maybe we're going to have a Navy versus Memphis shootout, and then Memphis's offense just went completely flat. They couldn't they couldn't do anything. Navy was – I mean, it felt like Navy was bringing six and seven every time. Uh, Memphis's offensive line was struggling to to block the blitz, and, and Brady was, was kind of panicking in the pocket because he – Really didn't have any time in the first half. Uh, had trouble not throwing the ball away. Took a couple sacks. Uh, obviously had the fumble. So the first half was rough. Uh, like you said, it was it was really weird to, to come out and have that environment. And then they get a kick return out of nowhere. As soon as you think it's over, Navy's up 20-7. to And then Gabe Rogers, Juco transfer from Jones County Junior College, goes 99 yards. So such an odd first half. And it you know, obviously wasn't in Memphis's favor, but they were very fortunate to be down six because when you look at the yardage and time of possession, Navy should have been up by at least two touchdowns at halftime. 
Yeah, Christian. I mean, that, that first half was an absolute disaster for Memphis in um, just every way imaginable. It was so bad. If you just look at the possession breakdown, after Navy's first score, uh, Memphis immediately answers and things look positive. It's one play, 75 yards. Memphis has the ball for a total of 12 seconds. Then Memphis's next possession, three plays, five yards, punt. Next possession, three plays, negative eight yards, punt. Next possession, five plays, 29 yards, drive ends in a fumble. So then Memphis, for the second time in the first half, has a single touch touchdown. Uh, in the, their next possession, they bring the score within six, 20 to 14. They literally have the ball for 13 seconds. And then they miss a field goal to end the first half. And you just, if you take away two, two plays, it feels like Memphis has no shot in this game. And yet somehow, they're right there. They're right there at the door. They're down a single touchdown. Um, so then you you fast forward. You come out of the locker room, second half. You feel like Memphis could get some momentum back. First first possession, three plays, negative four yards. Yards ends in a punt, and you're like, all right, come on. Uh, is Christian, is that first possession, is that when Brady White had that pretty bad – moment of the night is that when he had that throw out of bounds with two wide receivers down the field uh it was either right at the beginning of the second half or right at the end of the first half I, I i don't quite remember when it was but the play that you're referring to uh brady rolls out to his right side looks like he has all the uh room in the world to run the ball uh looks down the field i believe it's demonte coxie going down the sideline wide open there was nobody within 10 yards and Brady just completely missed him. And even after the game, Brady was like, yeah, that was just a bad throw. I completely missed him. And then after that, uh, they go off the field. I think it was after the fumble. I think whenever he had the fumble is when they started booing him at one of those points. Uh, So, yeah, the crowd just laid into Brady White, gave him the full boo birds, and it was – that's that's when everything looked bad. That it looked it looked really rough at that point. I'm not gonna lie. When you when your fans turn against you and you're really only reason you're in the game is because you had two 75 plus yard touchdowns. It was not looking good for Brady. It was not looking good for Memphis at all at that point. Well, with that fumble in the first half, right before that, Brady had gotten sacked uh, for a loss of three yards. Uh, I think it was uh, Diego Fajot that had had sacked him and. You could feel the crowd, even on the TV, you could feel the crowd starting to turn. And so I want to take a minute to pause and just let's let's call some things what they are. I know that things felt bleak. I get it. Again, Memphis felt like they were just simply out of the game. Um, But at no point would I ever, ever think that Memphis fans would boo one of their own. A guy who came to Memphis to play for the Tigers, has been loyal to Mike Norvell, to this Memphis team, has, you know, bled for this team, went through, finished his PT to play for this team uh, on his uh, foot fracture. And and then to like, to, 
to have them right there, they're only down one score, and to have the crowd boo him on national TV, like, come on, get a grip, people. I'm just going to call it what it is. Malcolm Perry had a great game. He had a great game last night. And you know what his quarterback rating at the end of the game was? He got 38. Now, was Brady spectacular? No, I'm not saying he was great last night. I think he even said it after the game. Christian, we can drop in a clip here if you want whenever I stop talking. But his QB rating was a 71. He was 14 of 18 for almost 200 yards and three touchdowns. Yes, he put the ball on the ground twice. He lost one of those fumbles. But Memphis won. They covered. And you're going to boo the guy on national TV? I just... I think that's so absurd. And, and and honestly, I think Memphis fans who booed him, I'm just going to put it out there. They should be ashamed of themselves. Well, Brooks, I mean, like you're saying, it it was it, it, it was a weird feeling to hear the quarterback booed. I mean, regardless uh everything since Brady's been here, there's been a, he's had a lot of detractors. So, I'm not surprised that that you know, it came to this point. It, everyone knew it was a big game against Navy. This is always the game that it doesn't, you know, it feels like Memphis can't get over the hump. Uh, so fans were frustrated, obviously, that, you know, Memphis comes into this game 11-point favorites. Navy dominates the first half. Brady like White looks miserable. Uh, so in essence, I, I, I mean, it's been a long time coming more than likely because I know fans have had it out for Brady for some time. But you have to give it up for the way that he handled it. I can't imagine what it would be like to be in your home stadium and be booed by your home crowd even though you are down a touchdown. And not even a touchdown, they're down six at that point. So that is, it's got to be a, it's got to be a terrible feeling. And then he comes out in the second half. Like you mentioned, they had the bad first drive where they didn't move the ball. And that's when it really looked over. And this kid absolutely responds. He comes out. Uh, they have the they have the drive their first touchdown drive of the second half where uh, they I think they were under center for the majority of the drive moving the ball with Kenny Gainwell uh, Brady hit three or four screens and then hit Kadarian Jones for a five yard touchdown and after that he got into a rhythm he got confident comes out on the next drive drops it in the bucket to Antonio Gibson on one, probably one of his best throws in a Memphis uniform uh, and then comes out later and ices the game with another just a really, really good throw to DeMonte Coxie with the safety coming down, linebacker in the middle of the field, uh, DeMonte running a, a deep in or a post route, and instead of throwing it to the middle of the field where it would have been intercepted, Brady White puts it on the back shoulder, DeMonte Coxie turns up the field and scores a touchdown. So did he have a terrible first half? Absolutely. He looked sporadic in the pocket. He looked like he did not want to get hit. The blitz was affecting him. Uh, he wasn't running when he had the opportunity. He was missing throws. It was bad. He had the fumble. So it was a bad first half. Quarterbacks, football players in general, are not perfect. People are going to have bad games, and Brady definitely had a bad first half, and he responded. And you have to, whether you love him or you hate Brady White, you have to give him credit for the way he responded. He showed a ton of mental toughness. If he doesn't flip the script in that second half, I don't care how well Memphis' defense plays or how well the running game works, Memphis does not win that game without Brady White. So you have to take him for what he is. Is he... Riley Ferguson or uh, Paxton Lynch, absolutely not. He will never be that guy. Can he win football games? Yes, he can. He is smart. He will get you in the right plays. He can't always push the ball downfield like like most fans want Memphis to be able to. 
but he's I mean he's won he's won a lot of games at Memphis. He's he's had a successful career at Memphis thus far. So I wouldn't give up on him just yet. I don't think I don't think this offense can can go full potential with Brady at the helm just because of his lack of pushing the ball down the field. But Memphis is going to be a good football team with Brady White because he is smart. Uh, he makes the right reads, and um, like you saw last night, if he can come alive like that, then then Memphis really is dangerous on offense. If he can push the ball down the field just a little bit, then we saw what Memphis can be. Well, and, and let's just call it what it is. The entire Memphis team had a pretty rough first half. The defense was not good in the first half. Uh, they gave up – the offensive line looked like they – they did not come to play at all in the first half. And and guess what? Nobody was booing the offensive line. Nobody was booing the D. No, nobody was booing them. Uh, you don't get the right to, to boo one player when it looks like the whole team uh, was shell-shocked in that first half. But credit to Mike Norvell, credit to these players that came out, turned it on, uh, turned this game around, and covered. And... And what I would say about Brady White is last year, and, and even this entire team, last year with that first half, this team, Brady White, they don't come back and win that game. They just don't. Uh, defensively, Memphis would not have had the ability to limit Navy to three points in the second half. Um, you know, Brady White mentally, I don't think last year he would have, I think he would have checked out. I think it would have turned into a, another two-lane game where the wheels just fell off and it turned into a disaster. Uh, but credit to them. So for me, I'm, I'm watching that and saying, Brady White, this Memphis team, Mike Norvell as a coach and his staff, they are growing. They are showing promise. They're, they're getting better. They're winning games that years before they would have lost. And to me, whenever I look at the, the progression of a quarterback, that's all you want. You want, you want progress. You want, uh, you you want increased mental uh, toughness. You want the the progression of his game to to continue moving in a direction where he wins games where he would have lost them before. So I don't know what else you can ask for. You know, you look at Memphis overall. Their net rushing yards was 105. That's not Memphis football this year. So how you know how can you point at Brady and say oh. It's Brady White's fault. It's not. You know, Kenneth Gainwell had a great game. Yes, but 75 of, of his 104 rushing yards came off of one play. Absolutely, Brooks. And to me, you know, you touched on it a little bit, but this year just it, it the feeling is different, uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I think we, you know, we've, we've given Brady White credit. We have to give Adam Fuller and that defense so much credit because I think Coach Fuller has brought a completely different mindset. You see this defense flying around. They they did not hit this hard last year. They are making people think twice. You know when they're running the ball, they are attacking ball carriers. Uh, they're attacking the ball. So this defense has been so impressive. I know they haven't gotten into the bulk of their conference schedule yet. Uh, you know. It's been Ole Miss, Southern, South Alabama, and Navy. So they've had some decent offenses in there. I don't think we've got a full litmus test of where they are. But just from what we've seen in four games, they – I mean, I think it's easy to say they're one of the top two or three defenses in the conference, which is huge for this team because they have not had their defense to bail them out in the past. It's always been shootouts. You have to – you know, you have to score more than your opponent. But Adam Fuller has 
brought a completely different mindset to this defense. They are hard-nosed. Uh, they they make plays. They set the tone. They give the offense energy. You see that the, this team feeds off of each other so well, which I don't think is something that's happened a ton in the past. The offense feeds off the defense. The defense feeds off the offense. Both units feed off the special teams uh, because Pete Limbo's group on the special teams has, has been amazing as well. They Whether it's in the return game, uh, the coverage game, the special teams have been huge. This team as a whole has just really come together in a different way this season. You know, And from being around the program the past two years, this year does have a different feel. It's just, I don't know, it's, it's like a different brotherhood, and we've heard multiple uh, players talk about that, and I think that's what makes a football team special. And I could be completely wrong. This team could, you know, <laughs> this team could end up losing the rest of the season. But just from what I've seen, from what I know about the game of football, um, from what I know about this team as well, brotherhood is such an important part of the game because when you feel like you're playing for the person next to you, you tend to play harder, and that's what it feels like. It feels like they don't want to let each other down. I feel, I feel like they encourage each other, they pick each other up, and that typically is a formula to a special team so if they continue to play this way on defense and you continue to um, have good games from your offense because even though we felt we feel like they had a terrible game last night and they did for half the football game they still scored 35 points so this offense can still put up points Uh, I think they're still reliable and we'll obviously see more you know the further they get into the conference but I think this is just a a really good football team um uh, and like I said, obviously this will continue to pan out as the season goes, but all we can look at is from what we've seen in four games. And from what we've seen in four games, this team is mentally tough. Uh, they're well-rounded. They're good in all three phases. Uh, and I, I'm really excited to see what they can do for the rest of the year. Well, uh, just to kind of turn it to a bright spot, uh, I don't want to keep harping on just how bad the entire team was the first half. Uh, Sanchez Blake was awesome. Uh, he was all over the place. Uh, got a pick last night. He was great. Um, uh, AG was tremendous. Um, he had, you know, 88 yards on kick returns. He had that massive uh, touchdown reception. Um, AG was tremendous. And, and interesting note, we, we kind of tossed around some names for punt returners with uh, Pop being out. Uh, and, you know, it was interesting seeing uh, Travion Samuel back there. Uh, he didn't have a great game, only had the opportunity to return two punts. So, you know, some a couple interesting notes and some positives I, I thought came out of that game too. Did you see anybody else that really performed at a high level that I didn't mention? Well, I think obviously we haven't really mentioned Gabe Rogers yet. That was his first collegiate touch uh, as far as Division One. He came from the JUCO ranks. That was his first touch, and he went 99 yards. And that could, you know, that <laughs> crazy that could have been the play that saved the game. So, you know, big props to him. Uh, and then. On the defensive side of the ball, that whole defensive line in the second half took over the game. Joseph Dorseus, O'Brien Goodson, Jonathan Wilson, uh, Zay Cullens at the linebacker spot made some big plays. Austin Hall made some big plays. Um, but overall on that defensive front, I think O'Brien Goodson is the centerpiece uh, playing in that defensive tackle spot. When he's making plays, the whole defense is making plays. He had two tackles for loss last night, a forced fumble. So huge game from O'Brien Goodson, and he is such an important part of that defense. I think you saw when he was out against Southern, you know, Southern had success running the ball. They scored 24 points when they definitely shouldn't have, and I think a big reason for that was because OB was out. So he is, I don't want to say he's the most important player on this defense, but he's certainly one of them, uh, and I think that's a big reason why Memphis' defense has been so successful this season. 
Absolutely. So what's next? What are we, what are we looking to, what are we, you know, what's on the horizon? What's Memphis need to do progressing into the, the meat and potatoes of conference play and trying to, to wrap this season up, you know, up, up next, they got a break with UL Monroe before they head uh, to the Temple game. What does Memphis need to improve on? What do they need to do with this upcoming game? I, I mean, for me, I think the number one thing I want to see is Patrick Taylor healthy and back on the field when they get to that Temple or Tulane game. Yeah, Will it happen? Point, I don't know. What What does it look like with Kenny Gainwell and Patrick Taylor? Because, I mean, we saw it week one against Ole Miss, but Kenny Gainwell wasn't playing like this. So how dynamic can Memphis's backfield be if those two guys are back there? And that's that, like you said, that's something that we'll have to see uh, wait and see when and, and how that happens. But I think fans are very excited for that. Uh, as far as what they need to do to really have a good season is this offensive line is so young. Uh, Dustin Woodard is really holding it down at that center spot. Uh, Obina Eze has, has played well for the most part. Uh, so they've had some guys come in and fill in. Manny Arona Lopez has looked good. Dylan Parham has, has been great at left guard. But they have to come together as a unit, and I know that is so difficult for an offensive line, especially with Memphis's offensive line is, is a is a group that is so used to being together and playing together. When you think about having Travion Tate, Drew Kaiser, uh, Dustin Woodard, and Roger Joseph, I mean those guys played so many games together. So it's going to be difficult, and it's going to take time for this offensive line to be fully comfortable together and be a full unit uh, and to be able to pass off those rushes and to see those blitzes. So that's going to take time, but it's something they have to continue to improve on because this team starts up front. Uh, to be able to run the ball like they want to, the, the line has to play well, and to be able to drop back and give Brady time, the line has to play well. So I think that is the biggest key for them moving forward this season is that offensive line has to play well. Uh, like you said, obviously they, they have a, a pretty a pretty easy game against Louisiana Monroe next week, but then they go to Temple, and, and Tulane comes here to Memphis after that. So those two games to me, that Temple and Tulane game, uh, as far as this half of the season, will define the season. Because later in the year, yet you do have uh, South Florida, Cincinnati, and Houston, and that's a huge stretch. But you have to win these games for those games to be as important as you want them to be. For those games to mean that you're you know, you're going to be AAC West champions, you have to take care of these games. Temple is a tough opponent, and you have to go on the road. Uh, you know, they'll, Memphis has been on the road to South Alabama. They go to Louisiana Monroe this week. But that will be their first road test in Temple. That will be that's a tough game. Temple's a good football team, a very disciplined football team on both sides of the ball. So to beat teams like that, to beat teams like Temple and Tulane, who's you know who's been successful this year so far, you have to have good offensive line play. Well, yeah, I mean, just look at Tulane. They they look legit. They they beat Houston. They hung in there with Auburn. You know they they were a good ways into the second half being down only one score. Uh, I think it was 14 to six, maybe Um, 14 to seven, 14 to six. So, you know, Auburn is looking every bit the part of a top 10 team and Tulane for the majority of that game hung in there with them. Tulane is legit and Memphis, um, you know, they're coming off of a season where they just got absolutely beat down by Tulane last year. And it's a, I mean, that game, I cannot overemphasize how important that game is. Tulane is putting up massive numbers on 
the scoreboard this season. They're, they're four games. They're looking at uh, outside the, the Auburn game where they held them to six points. They're looking at 42, 58, and 38 points. Memphis's defense has to come to play, and Memphis has to put up points. So Brady White, uh, Memphis's backfield, they've got to have production. So I think that's what's next from my perspective. Um, it's going to be interesting. Uh, you know, like you said, the big thing is the offensive line coming together uh, and giving holes for their backfield and time for Brady. So all that said, the the horizon is still extremely bright for this team. They've got, um, you know, a couple games coming up that will tell us whether or not they're as good as we think they are. Um, but we can't really for sure know that until we get there. So let's take a break, hear from our sponsors, and then we'll talk a little bit of basketball to close this thing out. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, so we're a week away from Memphis Madness officially. Not even that, like six days. Next Thursday, October the 3rd, Memphis Madness is here. Uh, it's about to be insanity in the city of Memphis when it comes to University of Memphis Tigers basketball. So Memphis actually opened up the doors of the Lori Walton uh, practice facility, invited in the rebounders and media, and gave everyone an open look at the first practice of the year. Uh, originally, it was slated to be about an hour long, but you guys ended up getting uh, about 35 minutes Christian, you know, it was a lot of fluff, uh, if, if we're calling it what it is. You know, for those that don't know, uh, the Memphis staff and Memphis players actually held their first official practice prior to the rebounders and media coming in, uh, did the real practice, and then they kind of had a show for everyone afterwards. So, Christian, just, you know, takeaways from that first open practice. Yeah, Brooks, like you said, there's there's really no like, okay, yeah, we saw this, we saw these sets, you know, Memphis is going to do this this year. It's nothing like that because, like you mentioned, it's a lot of fluff. They they ha- they held the real practice, uh, the juicy practice, <laughs> before we got in there. Uh, so when we got in there, it was, it was more of like bl- blocking drills and just players dunking and stuff, having fun and showing off in front of the fans. Uh, and there's not a ton you can take away from that that's meaningful, uh, but I think the the couple things that I did see and did take away from it are are relatively obvious. Just that this team is extremely talented. Uh, that on paper they're extremely talented, but when you 
look at what they have and you look at the way they work together, you kind of start to see how this team is going to operate. And I feel like this is something you and I have been talking about for months now, probably since May when we've tried to figure out, you know, who's going to play where, uh, how's it going to look. And I think when you have the talent that Memphis has, because James Wiseman is absolutely incredible. Uh, I know he hasn't played a collegiate game yet, but there's a very good chance that he is the best player in college basketball next year. And there's an even better chance that he's the number one overall pick in the draft next year because he is that type of talent. Um, I've watched him play a ton of times and, you know, he's put on at least 15 or 20 pounds. Uh, James looks massive and he lo- he looks ready to, you know, to take over the game. So with that, you pair him with Precious Achiwa, who, again, a physical specimen, six foot nine, look like looks like he's added some weight too. He's already extremely athletic, great defensive player, uh, and then you start looking at the backcourt guys like uh, Lester Quinones, Damian Ball, Boogie Ellis. I mean, they they have plenty of guards to spare. Uh, DJ Jeffries also, you know, is a very talented basketball player. So when you look at what they could put together as far as athletic bigs and shooters, it's got to be scary for for opposing teams because this team can beat you down low. Uh, they can beat you at the mid-range. They can beat you at the three-point level. Uh, they really just have talent at every position, and this team looks like they really enjoy playing together. Uh, they look like they're going to have a lot of fun together this year because when you take it back to, to May when this recruiting class uh, gets wrapped up with Precious Achiwa, uh, all the news comes out from Penny Hardaway saying that they all had a group text together saying that they were going to sacrifice, which to me, that's huge because they want to play together. They all chose to come to Memphis to play together, and you can see that on the floor. They they seem to really have fun playing together. They seem to love playing together, and much like we were talking about earlier with the football team, when you have that brotherhood, when you have players wanting to play for each other uh, and picking each other up and encouraging each other, then that is usually that paired with talent is usually a recipe for a successful team. And I think Memphis' basketball program has that as well because they all did sacrifice, uh, you know, being the quote-unquote guy to come to Memphis and play together. And I, and I think that could go a long way within their success this season. Well, let's just rewind. I want to rewind back to what, June, July? How far back do, do we need to go? and And talk about the fact that in the middle of the summer, we called an all-freshman starting lineup, a starting lineup with Damian Ball as your, your point guard, with Boogie Ellis as your shooting guard, with Lester Quinones as your three, with Precious as your four, and James as your five. And the amount of flack that we took in making that call, and to fast forward now to almost October – on the verge of Memphis Madness, and to now see it playing out in both the narrative coming from the coaching staff uh, when they speak to the media, but also in seeing the way that it's shaking out on the court. Did you see any indication? I mean, was there anything uh, telling enough in your time, the 35 minutes that you got, to show that potential of an all-freshman starting lineup? Well, they didn't really run anything as far as, like, anything lineup-based. They did run where they would have, you know, five of the players together and run down the court just to do just to do drills, but, you know, they had a mix and match. So there was no lineups or anything like that. But I still think, like, you heard Penny say in the press conference on Monday about, you know, it's still possible that we start five freshmen. I, I mean, I, I think we got to stick to our guns on this one, Brooks, because – with the talent that they have, 
with the things that we've heard about Damien, which would be the one wild card to start for most people, with the things we heard about Damien uh, at the point uh, with how, you know, Boogie just looks so smooth in practice, uh, has a great stroke, so um, it totally makes sense for him to start at the two guard because he can play off the ball. Lester with his shooting ability, size, defensive ability, he has lost a ton of weight. He looks good. He looks in shape. Uh, he's shooting the ball well. And then you look, obviously, obviously, Precious and James are going to be starters. So I think it's still the most likely possibility is five freshmen because I think they give them the best chance to win. I mean, they are so talented. Uh, they enjoy playing with each other. You already see the the teamwork and the camaraderie. So I, I think we stick to our guns there. I think I think it is still going to be those five freshmen that start uh, against South Carolina State. Well, I guess my point in asking that question was, did Penny Hardaway, did the staff – in, in that 35 minutes, actually give people a glimpse to see with their own two eyes what we believe to be true. Because here's the thing. When when I first said it on our VIP board, when we said it on the podcast, I just don't think people believe this. And I don't think that they're going to believe it until they see it with their own two eyes. So it seems like we're going to go well into October before uh, people really believe that this is going to happen. But here's what I want to say out of it. It's happening, people. It's going to be, it's going to be a, a, an all-freshman starting lineup. Uh, this is what happens when you make massive upgrades to talent. Let's just call it what it is. Um, some of the guys that you fell in love with last year, um, some of the, the, the players that you really have an emotional attachment to, and I'm talking to fans here, not you, Christian. <laughs> Some of those guys won't see the floor as much as you hope or expect. And you're just going to have to deal with it. Um, I don't know why I'm being so combative, combative on this podcast so far, but I feel like I'm really talking down to fans. I love you guys. Uh, so don't don't think that I'm like being the scolding dad here. Uh, it just is It is what it is. And, and you'll see. It's going to happen. So, Christian... Uh, heading into Memphis Madness, the only other storylines that are really pressing uh, is related to recruiting. Uh, we've already covered this a little bit, and we're going to wait and really, really dig into recruiting uh, next week with in terms of Memphis Madness and what all that means. But I did want to, to recap some of what we've talked about since uh, others have started to put this list out after we published it on VIP. So for Memphis Madness, these are the guys that are, that are going to be in attendance for sure. Jalen Green, five-star. Chris Moore, four-star. Jay Scrub, five-star level talent, NBA-level guy, has, has meetings lined up with multiple NBA teams over the next few weeks. He's a JUCO guy. Devin Askew, 2021, five-star. Kenny Chandler, five-star. Mason Miller, four-star. Chandler Jackson, he's unrated yet because he's 2022. And then also Musa Cisse, five star. Lots of five, lots of stars in the building. We're gonna dig into that next week, so don't get too crazy. One thing I do want to tease is I think that Memphis will have uh, some visitors to look out for for the following week with their NBA uh, pro pro day combine. Uh, that's gonna be interesting because they can actually have recruits on campus to view that um, so just look out for that I can't put any names out yet 
sometimes I got to play things close to the vest, but just be looking out for news related to uh, some high-level five-star recruits being in town for that. Christian, anything you want to add for Memphis Madness next week? I know we're going to have like an entire Memphis Madness extravaganza episode, so I don't want to go too in-depth on that. Yeah, nothing else for me on Memphis Madness. Like you said, we're going to fully break down Memphis Madness, the visitors, what's happening. Uh, that's going to be next week's show. and So we're going to save, we're going to pull off on Memphis Madness and save all that for next week. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Well, I, I think to, to finish the show, to close this thing out, we're, we're up in the 30 minutes now. Um, Shocker. Right? To close this thing out, I do want to talk about one piece of news that happened earlier this week. Memphis was in to see uh, Jethro Muscadine. Uh, he's a, a Haitian native. He's from Haiti. He plays at Aspire Academy in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, he's a kid that had a tremendous summer. Uh it was has been involved with the Haitian national team. And for those of you listening that don't know this, newest Memphis assistant, Cody Toppert, uh, if you do a little Googling, a little Google search, you can find that Cody Toppert is a coach for the Haitian national team. Pretty interesting connection there. Uh, but Cody uh, is the primary coach on uh, Jethro, and Memphis was in earlier this week at a Aspire Academy in Louisville to visit with Jethro and the Aspire Academy coaches. Penny Hardaway was there, had a chance to view an open workout. And out of that workout, what happened? Memphis offered Jethro. Jethro is a, a top 120 level four-star uh, 6'10 big man that, you know, if, if here's the bottom line that I want to tell people. If Penny Hardaway is getting involved with a recruit, he's a priority. If, if Memphis is sitting down and Penny Hardaway is evaluating a player, putting his own two eyes on a player, that guy is is someone to keep an eye on. Um, and they're also he does they're, not they're just get involved. Exactly, Penny Hardaway does not just go visit anybody. Um, Penny Hardaway, people forget Penny Hardaway is bigger than just University of Memphis basketball. He's his name is on the airport. He's involved with. Nike and his own shoe line. Uh, he's got uh, investments across the board. He's got a lot of stuff going on. And, you know, he's spread thin as it is. So Penny's not just packing up, getting on a plane and traveling to go see a kid if he's not a priority. So I would say keep an eye on that. Uh, Memphis obviously has a massive hole with James Wiseman heading to the draft after this year, and Jethro would go, go a long way in filling that hole. So um, I guess for now, just keep an eye on that. I, I do expect Memphis to push extremely hard to get a visit. Kansas, um, Louisville, and Xavier, and some other teams are involved with Jethro as well. So it should be interesting to watch that. But with that said, I've got nothing else for this week. 
Stay tuned for next week's Memphis Madness Extravaganza. It's going to be uh, quite the episode. Christian, you got anything else? All good on my end. All right. That's a wrap. Thank you for listening to Tigers in 20. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love for you to leave a comment and a rating wherever you download your podcasts. If you are interested in daily content all about the University of Memphis athletic program, please hop over to www.gotigers247.com. Articles are uploaded daily, and you can join the Go Tigers 247 family by signing up for the VIP membership for even more behind-the-scenes information. 